Hey, it's Karen here. And before we begin, I want to take a moment to tell you about something special. After my own cancer diagnosis, I realized the importance of having a helpful and simple resource. That's why I wrote Happiness Through Hardship, a guide and journal for cancer patients, their caregivers, and friends. Like a good friend, this book will provide practical tips and resources, as well as a few stories providing hope. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed, I encourage you to send them a copy of my book. Please go to prettywellness.com forward slash book to learn more or buy directly on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Target.com. Half the proceeds also go to the Cancer Couch Foundation, where 100% of the donations are matched and fund metastatic breast cancer research. Let's begin. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book that shares the same name as this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. If you like these episodes or others, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. Or if you're a huge social media fan, please take a screenshot of this podcast, tag us at Pretty Wellness on social media, and repost so your friends can learn about us too. And now for this episode, I dug back into the archives to showcase one of my favorite interviews. Honestly, though, I love interviewing guests and all of them have brought something very special. This interview was with a husband and wife team who co-authored a book that is very near and dear to my heart. This book, Anti-Cancer Living, and their work have helped so many, including me, heal and thrive living with cancer. It's a must-read for anyone who's looking to make healthy living simplified. So I'm bringing back this episode for those who found this podcast in the past year and may have missed this one. Or if you've already heard it, I encourage you to continue listening. I find that I learn something new each time I reread a book or re-listen to a podcast episode. So please, grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am beyond thrilled to be joined today by two brilliant individuals for what is bound to be an enlightening and inspiring conversation. Now, as many of you know, after my second cancer diagnosis, I was looking for things I could do on top of my medical treatment to help me heal. And that's where I started to learn about anti-cancer living. It wasn't just one way. It was a few and as today's guests talk about, it's a mix of six. Now, for me, these changes led to big shifts. And now, seven years later, I am thriving and still embracing healthy living. That is why I am incredibly honored to be here today with the co-authors of Anti-Cancer Living, Transform Your Life and Health with the Mix of Six, Dr. Lorenzo Cohen and Allison Jeffries. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about them because they are so fabulous. 
Dr. Lorenzo Cohen is the Richard E. Hayes Distinguished Professor in Clinical Cancer Prevention, as well as the Director of the Integrative Medicine Program at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. He's the former Vice Chair of the Academic Consortium for Integrative Medicine and Health, and is a founding member and past president of the Society for Integrative Oncology. Dr. Cohen has published more than 175 scientific articles in top medical journals and has edited two books on integrative medicine for cancer care. Now, we are also here with Allison Jeffries. She has a master's in education and has worked extensively as an educator. She's a former president of the MD Anderson Cancer Center faculty and family organization and works closely with Dr. Cohen to foster health and wellness in individuals and their communities. I am so honored for you guys both to be here with me today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome. Thank you so much. We're also very excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, and for all you listeners out there, I will tell you, um, for those who have followed me in my career, you know I used to work in sports and entertainment, and part of our job description is we're not allowed to let to go up to celebrities and ask them for autographs. And so I was saying to Allison and Dr. Cohen earlier that they are celebrities to me. They are so well-known, whether it's across the world for the book, as authors, but also as these experts in integrative oncology. And I, like I said, I am so, I wish I could reach through the microphone and not just ask for your autograph, but a big hug. I guess virtual hugs are what we're doing now anyway. So again, I'm so happy to have you both here. I'd love for you guys to tell the listeners, share a little bit more about your background and what led you to write the book and work to promote an anti-cancer lifestyle. So my training is actually as a, as a health psychologist and, and technically my degree is in medical psychology. So I, I trained at a medical school, but focused uh, in the graduate program, looking at uh, how behavior influences our health. And, and in particular, my focus was in this area of psychoneuroimmunology. Uh, a very big word that broken down essentially means the relationship between psychological factors, our hormonal system, and the immune system, and how that can either set us up for vulnerability to different diseases or influence disease uh, outcomes. Um, and of course, you know, being a, a health psychology program, behavior in general. So I uh, was very interested in, in stress and immune function. And so upon graduating uh, in 1990 with my PhD, the question, what, 94, the question was, do I go the route of HIV AIDS, which was still uh, something that we struggled with more than we do today, as there's a clear link between uh, the immune system and disease outcomes or cancer. And at that time, I chose the cancer route. Fast forward 22, 25 years, um, still focusing specifically in the area of cancer and uh, trying to develop strategies to first and foremost decrease uh, an individual's risk of developing cancer in the first place, and then importantly, to improve outcomes uh, after a diagnosis. 
and more generally, um, you know, this whole area of integrative medicine, as you mentioned. So how can we improve patients' quality of life and clinical outcomes using all kinds of different strategies outside of the conventional medical oncology uh, treatments? And when we moved to Houston, uh, I was teaching, I had been teaching in museums and then moved to the classroom and we moved to Houston and Lorenzo started working at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Uh, we're actually married. We didn't say that uh, in the intro, but, um, and so he started working at MD Anderson and he came, was coming home every night with this super interesting information about the work that he was doing on cancer and lifestyle uh, research that was being conducted at MD Anderson and around the world. And so we were having these long conversations about all this new, interesting research. And we started to have children. And at some point, we realized that there were all these tools that we could uh, provide for our kids uh, in the way that we were raising them and also teaching them about how to live a healthy life. And so we started putting a lot of energy into that. And then we realized that we actually weren't living that life. And so we gathered our friends together and we started making changes in our lives. And then we realized that we had this really unique uh, position because Lorenzo had all of this uh, super relevant, up-to-date research on the science, and I was an educator. And so we started giving talks in our community and, uh, and realized that there was so much information that, that we wanted people to hear. And so we decided to write Anti-Cancer Living. And on the day that we submitted our final draft, Lorenzo was diagnosed with advanced melanoma. And so we, you know, went from being on one side uh, of this issue uh, to being on the other side as well. And so we became cancer patient and cancer caregiver. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Lorenzo will speak to it, but this, you know, having all of this knowledge and, and doubling down on anti-cancer living was uh, invaluable to Lorenzo's cancer journey, as well as to my own as the cancer caregiver. So that's where we find ourselves today. Well, and what, what, what was quite remarkable, in particular early on in talking to, to friends and colleagues, is that um, it, it came as news to most people that cancer could actually be prevented and that we played a role in, in our risk of developing cancer. And then again, after a diagnosis, that we could play a role in, in influencing our outcomes. Um, and that was true of the lay public, equally, unfortunately, as, uh, as, as cancer healthcare professionals. Um, and, you know, we wanted to create a book that not only, in some sense, convinced you of the importance of, of lifestyle and its role, but then going that next step that really wasn't um, in most books, even that were out there on this topic of, well, what do you do? How do you start? What are uh, some initial steps that you can take and try and provide a kind of prescription for people? Can you jump in and talk about the mix of six? I have so many different questions that I want to that I want to ask from the initial story, but I want to outline for everyone who's listening what these mix of six are. And while I think in some ways people are going to be 
blown away, but not because it makes a lot of sense. Even to me as the layman here who, you know, now after seven years can call myself a true wellness ambassador, but seven and a half years ago, I wasn't. The mix of six, uh, is a comprehensive approach to health and well-being that focuses on six lifestyle factors. And it starts with uh, love and support, stress, sleep, exercise, diet, and exposure to environmental toxins. And this is what we outline uh, in the book, and it's kind of a comprehensive uh, approach. We also talk about what is cancer to begin with, to sort of set the stage so that you have an understanding. And with the mix of six, what's really important is the synergy as well between each each of the six. So we view this not just as a silo of, let's say, diet, but of diet on its own, as well as its relationship to the other five. Well, and I will tell you that was truly what was eye-opening to me and something I think I just needed to hear seven years ago because the first time around with my cancer, I did what my doctors told me to do, check here, check here, check there. I did that, but we didn't talk a lot about lifestyle factors. Yes, I asked a few questions about nutrition and so they sent me to a nutritionist and I am so grateful and thankful. I have a wonderful medical team that I loved then and my newer medical team now. I, I, I'm very grateful for them. Uh, but I, I just walked away and believed cancer was behind me. It really was that second time and stage four at that that opened my eyes. And so I still, I first thought, okay, I'm going to change my diet. What am I going to do? I know I can do that. And when I started reading the book, again, I had these aha moments that, okay, I could eat really well, but if I'm not sleeping, well, then I'm probably not going to exercise. And if exercise and is so many studies about preventing many diseases and why we should be more active, if I can't do that because I'm too tired or I'm eating cruddy food that makes me not feel well, um, you know, it, it seems like it could be overwhelming, but to me, I actually found it empowering because it wasn't just think one thing, it was a few. I would like to know the, where do you guys think people should begin with the mix of six? Well, the first one, which we list as love and support is the place to start because we have outlined it as the foundational piece and you know so much of us in, in what you were describing about how if you didn't have your sleep in place that that kind of sabotages other areas uh, you know so often we uh, you know we we feel that and we set up this kind of negative contagion where you don't sleep well you get up you eat poorly you choose not to exercise you know you're not as nice to the people you love etc cetera, etc cetera. and you really want to create a positive synergy uh, but in order to do that you really need to start with love and support because we decide we're going to launch into you know an exercise routine and we set ourselves up at you know for tomorrow's going to be the day and then what happens is that we don't do that and we feel all this blame and guilt and shame, which are emotions that you really have to put aside because this is really about starting right now from where you are in this very moment and looking forward, you know, in a positive way about all of the things that you can do right now. 
but you want to start with love and support and your team of support. And so before you decide that you want to do something, you know, you're going to identify it, but then you're going to say, okay, now what am I going to need to, to make myself successful, to allow that success to happen? And that is a team of people that are your friends, your colleagues, uh, your loved ones who help you do that. So for instance, let's say, you know, you indicated stress is really a very challenging area for many of us. And so I have never meditated before. Uh, I'd like to take a meditation class. So you need to, you know, find somebody in your circle who you think you could take a class with. And with COVID, uh, now you can do that online. Your friend or colleague could be at home and you could be in your own home and you could sign up for an online course together and help each other stick with it. So that piece of social support in this particular area is very important. Lorenzo and there's there's also say. clear evidence that you know what uh, Allison is describing is more of the indirect effects of social sport how social sport can allow us to be more successful in each of the mix of six there's also clear evidence on what we could call the more direct effects of social support in that uh, people who have better social connections are better integrated into their network um, have uh, better biological functioning, uh, so much so that we can measure gene behavior and the genes that regulate key biological processes that either make us more vulnerable to cancer or create a body that's more inhospitable to cancer uh, actually are modulated by things like love and support and the flip side, loneliness and social isolation. Loneliness and social isolation are, are we could view them as, as almost uh, uh, toxic um, situations. And so much so that some research indicated that uh, social isolation and loneliness were equivalent to smoking around 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. So, you know, we are social beings. And, and I like to think of, of the mix of six always from an evolutionary perspective. And evolutionarily speaking, we thrive and do better when we are in groups. And that's what has allowed us to uh, survive all the hardships uh, that have been thrown at us over the 200,000 years that we've been on this planet as homo sapiens. So um, we're not going to get into a lot of the, of the biology here, but you know, starting with uh, love and support and social support, it's clear that each of the mix of six influence biological processes, what we call uh, the cancer hallmarks. Um, and and, you know, again, all, all the way down into how our, our genes are behaving and controlling uh, these different processes. I do want to point out for those of you that are listening, I, I do know a lot of the cancer community listens as well as those who've just been touched by some sort of disease or illness. And then, hey, everybody here, I'm sure there's a ton of listeners that have been affected by stress. I do want to point out that when you get hit by hardship, or I will speak for myself, it's support was so key. And I am so lucky that my husband was is an amazing caregiver. Uh, however, my sister, who is not here, she's always lived far away from me, you know, post-college, she 
has been an amazing support as well. And we have found ways to stay connected and for her to support me through everything I've gone through, even though she's not literally there with me. And I say that because I think uh, I've talked to people who find it challenging to find support. And so I oftentimes try and talk them through, well, you know, is there somebody who makes you feel good that can be this support even if it's not traditionally, you know, a friend that lives next door or a significant other that you may live with. There's so many ways, especially as you, as, as Allison mentioned, in terms of um, you can do classes through, the, you know, through Zoom or through the internet, whatever it might be. And you can also connect with people in creative ways, whether we're talking COVID times and beyond. Uh, I met a lot of people that I didn't know beforehand through these cancer circles that I still may not have physically met, but they understand what I've gone through. And so I encourage you, if, if, if you're listening and you're going through any type of hardship, to see if there's a way that you can connect with somebody that may understand because they bring a different perspective than your best friend or your husband's significant other, what that might be. So yeah, and, and and I think I mean it's just, it just can't be overemphasized that that you need to create connection with people and those people uh, can ultimately you know start as strangers and then and then they're no longer strangers um, and the National uh, Health Service the NHS in England uh, where a lot of this loneliness research uh, has been conducted are so convinced of the importance that it's part of their overall health plan and have developed interventions to in particular try and connect uh, lonely elderly adults with people through essentially just phone calls and and zoom connections and this was pre-covid and now it's in some sense easier than ever to get connected this fascinating research showing that uh, although when we when we get on public transportation we want to put our headphones on and put our head down and 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 get work done during a, a daily commute there's uh, an elegant study that was done that actually manipulated what you did when you got on the train and those individuals who were in a group that had to uh, reach out and try and connect with a stranger on the train and have a brief conversation they were happier by the end of the day. They felt that they were more productive. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so there's clear scientific manipulation that even just these daily encounters, when you're at the grocery store and, uh, and, and throughout your day, the person serving you coffee, you know, make that connection anywhere you can uh, and you're going to feel better. Wow. As you're saying that, I'm thinking back to when I was a child, even not even so long ago, when we didn't have our phones glued to our hands. I know so many times when I'm out in public and I've got a few minutes of a wait, you, I think naturally a lot of us go and grab our phones. And so to your point, we're missing out on those opportunities to whether it's reducing stress or connecting with our own joy from having this support and the connection of people around us that we don't even know. That is, that's amazing. It's, uh, you know, 
I'm always amazed when Lorenzo came back and talked about that study where, you know, speaking to the, the bus driver or the person who is handing you your coffee. I just, I, I thought that makes such sense. And I think back to the people in my life who were always chatting with those who they were coming into contact with and how much joy they got from those conversations. Uh, it's, it's really important that we stay connected in whatever ways we can, and 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 we're learning new ways right now, which is uh, which is exciting, and and provides so many different ways to to step out and to feel supported. And part part of this, you know, area that when we talk about love and support, we also talk about meaning and purpose, and and giving of yourself for the greater good, and for for things outside of yourself. And this falls into this uh, more complicated area that's called eudaimonic well-being. Everyone's probably familiar with hedonic well-being, where we get our pleasure and well-being from things that that feel good to us uh, at an individual level. And there's nothing wrong with pursuing hedonic well-being, but it's very important to include the giving of yourself to others uh, again, evolutionarily speaking, this made sense because uh, it, just focusing on the self wasn't going to be good for evolution of the clan, so to speak. Um, and again, there's evidence all the way down to, to gene inflammatory behavior and immune function that people who engage in uh, more aspects of eudaimonic well-being have profiles that would mirror a body that's less hospitable uh, to cancer growth at, at a biological level. And when it comes to issues around trauma, um, you know, nobody knew this better or was able to articulate this better uh, than Dr. Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor and, and psychiatrist who came up with what he called logotherapy and and talks about um, growth from trauma um, and that meaning and purpose is, is really what can get you through all hardships in life. Okay. And this is the part where I'm going to start crying because that is, I would never wish stage four disease on anybody, but that's what got me to where I am today. And I do truly believe that you don't get cancer twice. You don't get stage four disease, live with it and thrive for seven years and not do anything with it. And I truly feel like I have a purpose. And I will say that not everybody needs to be in my shoes. These are my shoes. This is my life. When bad things happen, like it's okay to be upset about it, but there oftentimes is a way to find a little bit of purpose in it. And you don't need that right away. I think I, I read in one of the chapters, and I don't know if it was in the stress reduction chapter or not, where you're talking about writing. And I mean, I, I'm a writer. I'm a huge proponent of writing, writing, journaling, taking these moments that you don't need to have the answers. You just be present. Uh, can you share with us? I know in, in a lot of the, the book you have a like a guide at the end of each chapter where you're giving a synopsis and sharing some of your own tips. And, and one of them that I like where it's about kind of connecting to yourself was this, is that you um, wash your face and wash your soul or it's something like that where you um, wash your hands, wash your mind, I believe it is, where you have some tips of how people can kind of connect to themselves and 
find some time for meditation? Will you share some other ideas or your thoughts on that? Uh, I think you're referring to the meditation moments where you look for opportunities in your day. And, uh, you know, when, when you start, you need to have something that reminds you that you need to do it because you remember the first couple of times when you're washing your hands. And it's just simply actually focusing on the task. So if you are washing your hands, feeling the water on your hands, the soap, uh, taking a moment while you're doing that just to breathe, you know, uh, breathe clearly uh, and to focus on exactly what you're doing. If you come to a, a red light and you're in the car taking deep diaphragmatic breaths while the light is red and just, you know, releasing that stress from your body. I think there are so many different great small things that you can do, even putting your hands above your head and stretching up and then bringing your hands down into your lap and taking three deep breaths. You feel, you know, I always talk about that what you feel on the outside is actually having an effect on the inside. So when you feel that calm, your cells are actually feeling that calm too and are, are, are more healthy and more functional. Uh, one of the things that I really like uh, because you know, we're, we all spend time in our homes and we're spending a bit more time in our homes right. now is that if you are feeling that you have negative thoughts, that you reframe those by putting sticky notes around the house. Uh, one of the people that we profiled in our book, Molly, who is just an amazing person and has um, was diagnosed 20 years ago with a glioblastoma multiform, which is an incredibly difficult cancer uh, to contend with. And she did her treatment. Uh, her and after about six months, she realized that she was going to need more than than you know conventional care. And she took a course at her local cancer center that taught her uh, you know meditation and all kinds of different things, integrative um, factors that could help her life. But her father went around the house and wrote sticky wrote sayings on sticky notes and put them around to try and reframe her thinking because so many of you know we all have negative thoughts and uh, even in the darkest moments we have things to be grateful for and positive things in our life and so the more that you can see that you know the happier you are and uh, and the way that you can see things in a positive light so you know put sticky notes up with strong thing uh, strong phrases that involve you know like I am strong or you know what is one positive thing um, that I'm thankful for today uh, you, you know anything that 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 brings positivity to you um, is a great tool oh and I Love that. Oh, please continue. No, I was just going to say, as, as you know, your listeners may think it sounds, you know, awfully trite to say, well, just take three deep diaphragmatic breaths or, you know, how, how meaningful could, you know, five minutes of deep relaxation really be? And, and, you know, again, the evidence, and I always come back to the evidence, uh, is so clear that, you know, one, the harms of, of chronic stress and constantly bathing your body, in particular uh, in this stress hormone called norepinephrine, which we know drives progression of disease and metastasis and, you know, literally activates all the cancer hallmarks, allowing our body to be hospitable to cancer and, and 
creating a, a biological environment where cancer can actually thrive, which of course is the opposite of what we want to have happen. And three deep diaphragmatic breaths stimulates the vagus, which is innervated in the lower part of the abdomen, which goes all the way up to the brain, the vagus nerve. And when you stimulate the vagus, you're actually creating what's called the relaxation response. You have uh, a decrease in sympathetic tone, which is the release of norepinephrine, and an increase in the opposite, which is parasympathetic tone. Uh, so you will feel better. You will feel relaxed. We know your heart rate slows down, blood pressure goes down, uh, but, but clear biological things are happening, again, all the way down into uh, gene signaling pathways. And, and there's multiple publications showing that just, you know, these 10, 15 minute uh, relaxation practices uh, will have an impact all the way down to, to gene behavior. And one of the things that we haven't spoken about with the, that is so important is that we all live in different communities and whether we live with people in our home or have close people around us, that it's really important to, uh, in, to put this into practice with those you live with. So when our children were young, we would sit down uh, in a circle every morning before school and meditate from two to, to 11 minutes. And the kids would help us choose the online guided meditation that would, we, we would use. And it was a way of all of us learning to meditate as well as teaching the kids how this tool could be really helpful for them. And don't get me wrong, we spent a lot of time saying, sit up, stop talking, close your eyes, you know, all of those things. But it really uh, served them well. And we have two kids who are in college at the moment, and our eldest one meditates regularly. Uh, he really uses that tool uh, to help him cope with, you know, college life. And, you know, trying to to modify your lifestyle uh, and everyone comes, you know, to the table with, with a different amount that needs to be modified to get healthy. Uh, but regardless of where you are, stress sabotages all our good, healthy intentions, both at a behavioral level and then again at a biological level, again, where there's evidence to suggest that, you know, if, if eating a healthy meal and you're experiencing chronic stress, the beneficial effects of that healthy meal are actually diminished uh, at a physiological level. So, you know, yes, eat that healthy meal, but if you're not also managing your stress, you are decreasing the benefits that that food could have potentially given you. And I will say, first of all, thank you. I have so many different questions that that I have, and I'm sure the listeners do, but I can speak from experience to say that a lot of, especially the stress management tools, I kind of looked at kind of as Dr. Cohen, you said earlier, people may not, may think that taking, doing any type of breathing exercise, oh, it's just a few different breaths. I will say I thought that too. And then I tried it and you know what? And then I tried it again. And so the key here to 
everyone who's listening is I encourage you to try something more than once, a few times. And as we know with our kids, if we have it with our kids, sometimes it takes several times. And hey, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but try something else. Because I can honestly say that I was that woman who brought her cell phone into yoga. I did it to work out. I didn't realize that when I was trying to find my breath that I was actually trying to be present and teach myself how to find my own calm. And so I love everything you're saying, and I encourage those who are listening not just to take it as wise words, but to take it as something you might be able to practice, because there's so many different tools out there that can help make our lives better. And stress, as you keep talking about, can be the culprit. Even though we do a few good things, stress can really hinder it. Uh, You know... You mentioned something interesting. We have this rule, we had this rule in our house growing up called the three bite rule, which is that, you know, the first bite you try, you don't like, or you, you know, you're kind of neutral. Second bite, you're still trying to decide whether you like it. And the third bite, often you decide, okay, this isn't so bad. And you keep eating whatever it is on your plate. And it's the same with trying these new things like, you know, meditation practice, trying yoga, that you have to give it that chance, uh, knowing that your body might need this. And if the first, you know, yoga class you don't like, try a different one so that you, you give it that chance to work and to see what everybody's talking about. You know, I'm, I'm curious, can you guys share with us what does your day look like when it comes to these healthy living practices, you know, any given day and, and I guess weekday versus weekend? So um, I can describe the ideal day um, and then we can talk about what percentage of my week I, I follow the ideal day. Uh, my day um, has changed somewhat after having a, a diagnosis of advanced cancer and melanoma uh, is an immunogenic cancer, and that's why immunotherapy works so well, as it did in my case. Uh, but that means that things like stress in particular, uh, that we know decreases cell-mediated immunity, the exact aspect of the immune system we need to control the cancer, um, needs to, in some sense, be more prioritized. So uh, ideally, you know, I spend, you know, the first 10 minutes trying to center myself, whether that be a formal practice or just quiet time, again, doing some diaphragmatic breathing. Um, actually, early on in COVID, it, it felt easier to, to prioritize this and uh, try to have uh, at least three days a week where I was um, doing a Zoom-based uh, yoga class. Um, for me, food in some sense has, has always been easy. Something, let me go back that, uh, I'm trying to convince our teenage daughter to also follow is don't pick up your cell phone for the first 30 minutes. And I know that, you know, some people are like, are you got to be kidding? Uh, that's literally the first thing some people do, not too dissimilar to people addicted to nicotine. Um, And actually, the way that they measure your level of addiction to nicotine, one of them is how long after you wake up do you have your first cigarette? Um, And so I've tried to, uh, being a former nicotine addict, 
follow that that same principle of you know try and delay my engagement in that cell phone for as long as possible um and so minimum 30 minutes uh before i would pick up my phone so i'm able to you know start my day in in a somewhat calm centered and and purposeful uh manner um i've recently tended to follow uh what what many uh, Nobel Prize winners, it turns out, in in the area of nutrition, um, are supporting, which is a somewhat delayed uh, eating schedule, restricted eating. So not restricting the amount you eat, and of course we can get into details of what you should eat, but simplistically a whole food, plant centered, low glycemic load, sugar free, uh, primarily vegan diet. <laughs> um, and you can slow that down on your playback if you want to hear everything I said. Uh, but what restricted eating means is not eating uh, your first meal and, until your first food until around 10 or 11. Um, and then having dinner at around six or seven so that in some sense you're, you're fasting for about 18 hours a day. Um, and when it comes to, to how I incorporate exercise in my day, early on in, in, in uh, having a newly diagnosed cancer, I actually started going to the gym again, just to up my dose of exercise. But now, and, and even then, it's more about just incorporating it into the day. So standing for the majority of time versus sitting, um, and then just walking and having walking meetings uh, a recumbent bike. I have a, a relatively inexpensive uh, recumbent bike where I can work while I am uh, on the bicycle. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of what my day uh, looks like. And, and most importantly, trying to be mindful. So it's one thing to be managing your stress while you're sitting on the cushion and in the yoga studio. The challenge is bringing that mindfulness into your everyday life and the encounters that you're having and being mindful while you're eating and mindful when you're in conversation and mindful when you're experiencing something that uh, raises your blood pressure and, and being, you know, uh, engaged in, in ways of trying to, you know, have that interaction go a better way. Um, and doing so in the moment. Wow. So I am, I mean, again, I'm, I'm speechless because there's so much power in what you have to say. And I know it because I've lived it because I wasn't mindful before and I rushed around even in recent years. Like I said, it was easy for me to change, easier for me to change the diet then it was all the mindfulness components, but I can tell that it works in my life. Now you had talked about families and being in it together. I love the idea of the meditation moments in the morning or, or just throughout the day. How about food? I believe that I read in the book that you both used to love pasta. What can you share with the listeners, whether it's family meals, or all those comfort foods you like to eat, what you suggest people eat now, and what do you find delicious? Well, uh, I think that the most important thing to think about overall is that 
while, you know, we still love pasta, or uh, we all love pasta, you know, Lorenzo being Italian, Lorenzo has switched to a chickpea pasta, which, which he loves. Uh, the rest of us are still eat um, a wheat-based pasta now and then. But it's really what we've really found that has really changed in our diet is that by introducing all of these new healthier foods, that it has just pushed out the unhealthy. And so it's not that we don't eat unhealthy foods, we do, but we are eating so much more of the healthy food. And we talk about this 90-10 split, you know, 90% of what we eat is health sustaining, health promoting, and 10% is either health neutral or health depleting. And so when we think about our meal, we now plan vegetables first. Uh, because they can be so delicious and we don't eat fancy, but we just want flavor. Um, and so I plan, what are, what, what are the three vegetables uh, that I can always have going, that I can keep in the fridge, that are easy to prepare, that we can always have on our plate? And then looking at beans, lentils, uh, if we do have a, a clean, lean protein. Uh, Lorenzo is primarily vegan. The rest of us in the house uh, eat everything, but we tend to keep probably 85% vegan diet the rest of us. So it's it's really about incorporating more which p- pushes out the rest. And the evidence the evidence here is is pretty clear. Um and and you know again as Allison was saying it's not about becoming a vegetarian or depriving yourself of things but but it's clear that the majority of your plate for the majority of your meals needs to be filled with whole foods from the plant world. Um, and that is what allows us uh, to thrive. And we, we know that the diet industry actually likes to complicate things because it helps to keep them in business. Uh, but it is, it's not that complicated. Um, and whole foods means that ideally you're eating that food in its original uh, form, original source. So of course, uh, white flour isn't as healthy as a whole wheat flour and an ancient grain is, uh, as a whole grain is going to be healthier even than whole wheat flour because whole wheat flour has been processed. One of the things also is that, you know, it really helps if, if you want to kind of understand where, where you are is to just keep a little log for two or three days. And it's very, it, it becomes clear really easily and, and uh, quickly where you can improve. Um, you know, it's easy to have a bagel for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, a pasta or pizza for dinner. And if you've done that, you've eaten a lot of white food and you've had no vegetable and no real health sustaining uh, food. And so we also have vegetables with breakfast because we know that we can't fit those in. We can't get enough of those vegetables during the course of the day if we just eat it at dinner. And so when our kids were young, they would round the corner and on the table, you know, there would be a protein potentially like an egg or um, scrambled tofu. And then they would have coleslaw on the side with more of an Asian dressing 
So one of the things we do is we make a coleslaw with red and white cabbage, cilantro, carrots, and green onions. We just put it together, put it in the fridge, and then we just take handfuls of it out for lunches, add some tofu on top, nuts, uh, whatever you like, an oil and vinegar dressing in your set. And the good news, the good news is that it doesn't take long to create um, changes in your body from the beneficial effects of these foods. And some research actually suggests that even just two weeks of, of following this healthy diet will create biological changes in your body that essentially uh, mirror um, the, the biological state we want to be in to help decrease our, our risk of cancer. Um, and in particular, when we measure the microbiome, the uh, microbes and, and bugs that are on and in us that uh, either foster health and well-being or actually associated with illness and in particular with cancer. And we know that the more diverse the microbiome, the uh, healthier that individual, the lower the risk of cancer. And new research actually from, from uh, MD Anderson showing that the more diverse the microbiome, the better the response to cancer treatment. Wow. I, I mean, I am so grateful that you guys are here to share this information. I seriously could talk another two hours with you because I'm I'm so intrigued. And for everybody out there that may not have the honor that I have right now in speaking with them, the book, I am telling you, I love it. I love it. Anti-Cancer Living, Transform Your Life and Health with a Mix of Six. They're also on Instagram and Facebook. So if you want to get more of a day-to-day information and inspiration, you can connect with them there. And I'll leave all this information in the show notes. But I am hoping as I end each episode that the two of you would be willing to play the grateful game with me. Is that something that you're interested in? Sure. So what this is for those of you who are new to me is it's a game that my son and I have been playing since he was nine years old. Basically, we started reading through a book on gratitude and it told us to start making gratitude lists. And my son being a nine-year-old boy and he's very competitive, he decided he wanted to challenge me. And by the way, everybody, he's 12 and he still wins every game. Uh Uh-huh. However, what it's done for me and where I feel like we're all the winners here is when you tap into gratitude, even when you're having a hard time, sometimes even my darkest days, I would sit and think about, okay, I know I'm having a really bad day, but what is going on me that I can be grateful for and why? And let me tell you, some days it's only the fact that maybe I had an opportunity to watch Days of Our Lives for 15 minutes, which still after all these years makes me laugh. Or that there was a book that I got to read a few pages of. Sometimes and oftentimes it's the really small things in life. And so I will kick it off if you guys are, since it sounds like you're willing to play, and I will talk about what I'm grateful for and why. I'll give us 30, 45 seconds and it can be big and the little things. So I'm going to start off by saying, again, I'm so grateful for the two of you. Like I said in the beginning, I feel like I am having this conversation like you're in my house, even though you're halfway across the country. 
I'm grateful that I can actually talk and have this, what feels like a heart to heart with uh, two authors that I really, really respect. Uh, second, all, second of all, I am really grateful for that new recipe that I think I'm going to make. I love cabbage. And the fact that you just mentioned, you just cut up a bunch of cabbage and you put cilantro, which I love, and carrots and create your own kind of vinaigrette. That sounds like something I am grateful for. And let's see, third of all, I'm grateful to two of my neighbor friends, Lindsay and Carrie. They helped me out and so much through COVID. They will text me and they'll say, because you know, I have a compromised immunity, so I'm not really going a lot of places. And they'll say, I'm heading to Whole Foods. What do you need? And inevitably, I always forgot something from uh, delivery. And so I wanted to say they did that this morning with something. And so that's uh, top of mind right now. I'm very, very, very grateful for all the generosity in all these hard times. So I am tossing it to one of you who wants to start first. I'll go. I'm also grateful for this conversation because it gives me this energy when I interact on this subject uh, and hearing how positive you sound uh, and how uh, much your life has been impacted by the way in which you're choosing to live. Uh, is amazing and and makes me feel grateful and excited to have met you over this call. Uh, I'm also grateful for my husband who inspires me uh, on this subject. And every time I hear him talk about different things, it, it re-engages me. I'm also really grateful for being able to kind of take a breath which I feel that we've had as we've been home more, uh, just to be living more in the present and to be engaged with our children. Um, and uh, grateful that I do drink this green tea every morning that my husband makes for me. So I'm grateful for that. Ooh, side note. Okay. Uh, what is the green tea you drink for all the green tea lovers out there? I'll have to let Lorenzo answer so, that because I don't know. <laughs> you know, just to, just to, to to start just by saying that essentially any kind of tea, uh, you know, not necessarily herbal tea because that's different depending on the type of herbal tea you drink, which is also super good for you. Uh, but conventional tea, black tea, green tea, uh, it all has you know very important phytonutrients, which are uh good for our health we tend to drink uh, a japanese sencha uh which is the a lightly uh roasted tea and then i will dust in some matcha to give it an extra punch and extra caffeine so i'm i'm literally grateful every day when i have that first sip of that that wonderful umami uh, sort of grassy, mossy taste of, of this delicious Japanese green tea. Uh, but at a more deep level, um, following up on what Allison said, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for her partnership and her willingness to, to be literally at the table and uh, on this journey of, of anti-cancer living and, and trying to share this message with the world early in our relationship uh you know to be honest with all the listeners we we lived uh not really the anti-cancer life and 
when she met me, this, you know, red wine drinking, pasta eating Italian, uh, you know, making pizzas and loving my evening uh, in moderation martinis. Uh, you know, that's, we're leading a different life now. And I must say, uh, more meaningful and, and even after a diagnosis of cancer and Karen, you mentioned this as well, um, healthier than I've ever been in my life. So I, I can't say I'm grateful for my cancer diagnosis, uh, but I'm grateful for, you know, being where I am today and, um, for all the science that everyone has done to, uh, really, for me, create the the bedrock and and the foundation for what we talk about, and most importantly, uh, fostering uh, wellness in our lives. Well, thank you both so much. I think we all win. For those who have listened to this podcast a long time, you know I don't care who wins or loses, as long as we play the game. And for me, and I think for all of us, we've all been through hard times this past year and who knows what's going to happen moving forward just in all of our lives. But if you have that ability to find something that brings you joy, that to find something that you're grateful for, it will hopefully help you find a little joy during whatever journey you are in life. So thank you again, Dr. Cohen and Allison. I am so, so, so grateful that you are here and to all the listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey and we will connect soon. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And now, my parting words. We play the grateful game at the end of each episode, and here is why. After my second diagnosis, I started to research who was thriving with cancer and what they were doing to be well. I learned that wellness is about consistent self-care, creating everyday practices that help improve our body and mind toward a state of good health. And for me, focusing on gratitude brings tremendous positive energy into my life. I am incredibly grateful for my quote-unquote wellness team. That includes every doctor, nurse, tech, holistic practitioner, and expert, including so many, if not all, of these experts and guests on Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. They have helped me and hopefully help you take better care of yourself. Now, if you're someone that has been touched by cancer, please check out my book, Happiness Through Hardship. It's a guide full of stories and suggestions on how to navigate cancer and beyond. It's also a journal and note-taking book, easy to bring to doctor's appointments, treatments, and more. And last but certainly not least, it's a fundraiser. Half the proceeds of this book go to metastatic breast cancer through the Cancer Couch Foundation. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.